Welcome to the One Within All to the Interverse podcast. I'm Chance and I'll be your host for this journey. It's my intention that on this trip we're taking that we find our inner bridge between the internal and external divisions, schisms, and outright fights that we might be having in our mind and with our fellow Earth Dimension visitors. Finding that balancing point between the yin, yang, right, left, and other polarities is more essential than ever as the apocalyptic curtains are shredded and more of the light of consciousness seeps through our third eye optic thalamus aperture because without that still and quiet center, we experience fear of what's on the other side instead of recognizing both our poles as a quantum mirror system meant to reflect and magnify our mojo, not refract, divide, and dump it. It's time we take responsibility for the infinite potential that comes from building up our personal energy instead of avoiding it by the shedding of our personal electricity that always comes when we allow ourselves to feel like the victim of the other side, whatever form it might take, internal or external. Our guest today has many tools for building bridges and merging the wills of our personality, self, and soul essence, and is a great example of a positive shamanic teacher in a time where trendy New Age topics can seem like dime a dozen guru cults with little in the way of solutions. Her name is Carrie Hummingbird, and her backstory in learning Native traditions and exploring Earth-based spiritual practices has led her to write books, found the Skills Not Pills movement, and host her very own show called Soul Nectar. In this conversation, we're going to be talking about ideas shared in her 2019 book, The Second Wave, Transcending the Human Drama. And to get us warmed up, I wanted to share a prophetic passage from that tome. There was an old lady from the Cree tribe named Eyes of Fire who prophesied that one day, because of the white man's greed, there would come a time when the fish would die in the streams, the birds would fall from the air, the waters would be blackened, and the trees would no longer be. Mankind as we know it would all but cease to exist. There would come a time when the keepers of the legend, stories, culture, rituals, and myths, and all the ancient tribal customs would be needed to restore us to health. They would be mankind's key to survival. They were the warriors of the rainbow. There would come a day of awakening when all the peoples of all the tribes would form a new world of justice, peace, freedom, and recognition of the great spirit. The warriors of the rainbow would spread these messages and teach all peoples of the earth, or Elohi. They would teach them how to live the way of the Great Spirit. They would tell them of how the world today has turned away from the Great Spirit, and that is why our earth is sick. The, ra- the warriors of the rainbow would show the peoples that this ancient being, the Great Spirit, is full of love and understanding, and teach them how to make the earth beautiful again. These warriors would give the people principles or rules to follow to make their path right with the world. These principles would be those of the ancient tribes. The warriors of the rainbow would teach the people of the ancient practices of unity, love, and understanding. They would teach of harmony among people in all four corners of the earth. And I think we can all vibe with the idea of a new and colorful tribe, borderless, undefined, and aligned with the great spirit of nature, and I'm really excited to bring Carrie on to have this chat. I've got so, much, so many things to ask her about from the book that we probably won't get to it all. So I'll try to hurry up this intro and get started and just let you know that you can find links to everything Carrie does in the show notes of this episode or on the website post for it. And also the Patreon link will be in there where at patreon.com forward slash interverse, you can sign up for five bucks a month and get the second hour of all my shows which there are very many of them at this point. So I'd appreciate your support and you get something good too. But now it's time to find that ancestral anchor and hoist it out of the deluge of delusion. 
Build a bridge over that water and get this mojo flowing with the shamanic social activist, personal empowerment promoter, and vivifier of of Native Voices, the one and only Carrie Hummingbird. Thank you for being here, Carrie, and welcome to the show. Wow, Chance. That's so beautiful. I was actually getting full body chills when you were reading the passage. My whole body was just lighting up with chills all over the place. So I'm really glad to be here for this conversation. Me too. Your book has been a lot of fun for me to get into uh, because there's so many, it's just jam-packed with things. It's like uh, every paragraph, there's something that if the reader would go and investigate deeper on their own, they could (laughs) gain some really valuable wisdom and tools. So I appreciate you for putting the work in to uplift the uh, human race as you've been doing. Well, each one of us, as we do our personal work, we're contributing to the ascension of human consciousness. Every single one of us, we're all connected intrinsically. We can't be anything other than that. So as we heal ourselves, those uh, those healed codes of, of uh, our own processing get distributed, you know, almost through our breath or our light or just our beingness. It gets distributed and then other people find it easier to claim it for themselves. And so... Yeah, I'm a deep dive, uh, deep shadow diver. I I like going in those shadows and there's a lot of gold inside them. There's lots to harvest. Yeah, so I think uh, we should just start with talking about what is this idea of the second wave, because that's what a lot of your book focuses on, of course, based on the title. Absolutely. Well, uh, so when I got the prompt that I was writing a book, uh, it was in February of 2019, And I said, okay, what am I writing the book about? And the message was the second wave. And I said, what the heck is that? Because I didn't know what it was. And then I had this prompt, go back and look at Dolores Cannon. Oh, that's right. And so I went on YouTube and I found this video of her talking about the three waves of volunteers. And I, that was just enough information to give me context for what I was writing. Because of course I don't, uh, you know, to keep it clear. So I'm making sure my ego's not in the way. I don't uh, go research, you know, to find out what it is uh, in the third dimension. So I did that. I I saw the video. And and so basically what it is, is there's waves of volunteers to the planet that have been coming uh, since the 60s, really. The 1960s was the first wave. And so you can see it in this, the amazing quality of human love and kindness and social justice that came forth from, you know, Martin Luther King, for example, Um, You could see it even in the Grateful Dead. You could see it in some of the music at the time, like the Age of Aquarius song, which to me is just so clearly alien. Like this is not a human, you know, a typical human mainstream creation. This is somebody that's from outside this ecosystem that's coming in to infuse us with a new, a new light, a new potential, a new vibration. And uh, so the second wave uh, is following on the footsteps of what was established in the 60s and 70s. And we are now expanding it and deepening it and grounding it. And actually the journey is about all about embodiment. So it's to become the living vessel of these new transmissions to actually embody these frequencies, these higher dimensions to lift ourselves and in lifting ourselves, lift everything around us. And it's been um, a painful journey in many ways because in order to truly fulfill the promise of the second wave to embody, we had to fully embrace our humanity. And so therefore, most of us had to forget who we really are. It's the only way to fully embrace your humanity if you think that's all you have. You know, like, if this is all I am, I guess I better embrace it because this might be my only lifetime. 
So the the dawning awareness of who we really are has started coming in, I would say the last, since 2011, 2010 maybe, some people maybe a little earlier. Um, but the dawning awareness of, hey, I think I'm more than just my body. I seem to remember this is, there's more to this story I'm living. It's not just this name I was born into in this family and these conditions. And there's something bigger for me. And I got to find that. And then the quest begins to heal ourselves and to, you know, uh, figure out a way to feel better somehow in this human experience. And we just this inner knowing that it can't be like this. This can't be all there is. This isn't all there is. There's so much more. There's, there's something greater that we're here to do. And if you had all those feelings in your, in yourself, in your life, then you're part of the second wave. It's kind of like age-wise, if we need to look at something pragmatic, I guess it would be from, I'm 51. I know I'm the, the, on the outside of the second wave movement. I'm, I'm a, I'm a precursor. And then all the way to my son, who's 21. So um, we've got that whole spread that you could be falling into as a member of the second wave. And it's, um, it's powerful work we're doing at this time. Um, we're ushering in an, a new paradigm to uh, allow the third wave to take foot, right? And to bring, really bring the new earth. And you could call these the diamond children, for example. So the second wave, I guess you could also equate as rainbow children. You know, we're the rainbow light keepers. And uh, we we keep our, so oftentimes um, on my journey, I've been told um, you're the rainbow keeper. And, and I've asked questions like in my shamanic healings, how come I don't have these crazy things happen for me? Like crazy bad things happen in my healings. Like other people say they have, like they're healers and then this weird stuff happens. And my guides tell me, well, that's cause you're, we keep you on the rainbow bridge. You never actually off the rainbow bridge. So there's this way of um, the rainbow children being firmly planted with both feet on the rainbow bridge and bringing all that light down into humanity on the earth plane and the third D. It's uh, a lot. (laughs) There's a lot there. And uh, the first thing that I thought about was how even with the 60s, there was um, attempts to manipulate what the social movements were doing. And even with many... Uh, musicians or artists that people hold up as heroes, you get into their backstory and it's like, wow, they were not just very human, but maybe even not even that well-intentioned. But it's important to know that like spirit moves through all of these things. Like you might look into the Grateful Dead and find out, wow, they had CIA connections. This is very bizarre. But the uh, people that connect to that music aren't necessarily all receiving a certain type of, I don't know, uh, negative influence, but they can, through the fact that this is a work of imagination, regardless of intent, spirit speaks through these things and can give the right message to the individual who's open for a uh, higher interpretation, a, a next, <laughs> the uh, next evolution of themselves, that they can find it being taught to them from every part of the reality at all times. Like everything is the teacher. And I guess where I'm going with this is I wanted to ask you about your idea of the book of fate versus the book of destiny, because I think that speaks to the dynamic I'm talking about, how uh, cultural, even anything in culture could be something that might you might use to open one book or the other, so to speak. Yeah, so the book of fate is 
the book you were handed when you were born. And it actually, another layer of that is that as a soul, you chose that book. And so it's your choosing. So that, I think there's a big misunderstanding in a lot of um, humans thinking that this is um, all a big punishment or something, you know, like that is being foisted upon us and is our fault or something. But actually, as we chose it, we, we chose this journey. In fact, we all chose to be here at the time on the planet when the astrology is aligned for this miraculous stuff to be happening. We all chose to be here at this time. And it's a time of great change and great change brings great discomfort. So getting back to the book of fate, the book of fate is really um, the storyline that you adopted to play out you know, unconsciously sort of thinking that you're that, identifying as it from your small self, from your humanity, from your temporary existence and your physical body and the family you were born into and, and you know, the conditions of your childhood and the communities you grew up in, the schools you went to, the messages you received, all of that is your book of fate. And it's sort of like a big puzzle, you know, it's like we get to figure out the puzzle of that and wind our way through that puzzle and through that maze uh, back to the truth. And so the truth is a book of destiny. When you arrive at the truth of who you really are, the book of destiny opens up because the book of destiny is only opened up by your soul. The small self can't open that book is way too big. <laughs> so the only way to open that book is to be in alignment and surrendered to your higher self, to the form of you that you would call your soul or your essence or connection to all that is, whatever that version of that understanding you have inside of you. That self is the one that opens the book of destiny. And it doesn't require an obliteration of the egoic self. It does not require us to kill the personality, okay? It's not that, it's actually quite the opposite. It's, it's a new relationship with the personality in the sense of the personality realizing how cherished you actually are. How cherished. Because to think that of the billions and billions and trillions of infinite pot potentials, possibilities in the universe that you were designed specifically intentionally to live this life right here, right now, at this time, on this time on the planet in the age of Aquarius, beginning up, you were specifically designed for this mission. And so you are cherished, actually loved, cherished, just delighted in even like the, the, the parts of us that we think are so gritty and nasty and putrid and who would ever want that? Who can love that? It's just not lovable. That's actually like the juicy good stuff is the fact that you actually have all that stuff. And so there's like a way in which it's delightful to bring all of that love through all of that and back into the truth. And that's like the cosmic game we're playing here, you know, so it doesn't always feel like a game and I understand that. And I don't mean to downplay, you know, any suffering or pain that anybody might be listening and feeling right now. I certainly don't downplay the pain of loss, the pain of grief, the pain of suffering, the pain of your body, the pain of your heart and your spirit and the things that are going on in the world, the conflict. I don't downplay that. That is the pain of the human experience. And that is also beautiful and potent. And uh, in some ways, if we could just understand how our higher self really perceives this human experience, we, we'd have such a different view of it. And so that's the dance that starts to happen when the Book of Destiny opens. So to go back to Dolores for a moment, uh, let me first back up, actually. Something I've uh, been really noticing lately 
and I think it's been going on for a while, but there's been a lot of uh, programming from culture, especially targeted at young women, to instill the belief that having children is going to like ruin their life. They'll no longer have the freedom to do this, that, or the other thing, whatever it may be. And I wanted to bring this up with you because I know that you're a mother and also the entire notion of life on earth is about life continuing. I mean, that's what life really does is it continues itself. And so in the book, uh, Three Waves of Volunteers and the New Earth, Dolores Cannon states that many of the first and second wave do not want to have children. They unconsciously realize that children create karma and they don't want to have anything tie them here. They just want to do their job and get out of here. Many do not marry unless they are lucky enough to find another of their own kind. And so where I'm going with this is I want to know, first of all, <laughs> do you think that motherhood, motherhood is the graveyard of broken dreams? Do you think that by uh, suppressing the desire to have children, especially in the second wave and first wave generations, that there would possibly would have been an attempt to reduce the number of third waivers that show up uh, by the forces that you describe in your book, uh, Ethereal and Otherwise, that do want to keep the vibration of the planet lower. Um, there's a lot here, but <laughs> I want to speak to this because I think it's an important, it's a really important um, conflict that's going on that I see in culture, that the very, the very notion of continuing life and playing your part biologically as nature does everywhere around you would somehow be um, chaining you to the book of fate in a negative way and, like preventing your destiny. What do you think? Well, that's a really uh, big topic you just brought up. And it actually, much of that is the subject of my next book, which just came out, which is called Love is Fierce, Healing the Mother Wound. And so this is perfect entry into a little discussion about that. So what what I'm getting, uh, what I'm hearing and what I'm feeling in my body is that this, uh, the reason why many second waivers and first waivers have chosen not to have children is because it's actually what needed to happen was a very specialized type of healing of human consciousness in order to facilitate um, the third wave to come in liberated from many of the patterns that have suppressed humanity for the last thousands of years. So you could think of this like um, a programming task, like in the matrix, like, you know, uh, they have like uh, this idea of like Neo programming and Trinity, like programmer, master programmer. Well, like we're programming human consciousness. We're actually doing the energetic work and facing all the feelings and doing all the healing and navigating the shadows and all the subconscious. All of that is actually, in a sense, reprogramming. So in the reprogramming, we reprogram through the light and through the light codes and the activations. Um, those of us who signed up to have children, we actually signed up to heal the mother wound. So the second, the second wave actually does have a, a, a targeted group of women. And I, cause I've been meeting a lot of them <laughs> because I, I attract them. We all chose to have children and all of us also knew that we were healing something really big in the collective. And so, um, it does take someone, a soul who's willing to, um, who's willing to be here more than one lifetime, who's willing to be here as many lifetimes as it takes to heal the karma generated from having children. And it also takes a master programmer to come in and be able to heal the patterns live in action um, in the family dynamic, in your ancestry, 
to take that on, which is a monumental task. And it's so needed at this time. And to bring forward new codes and new um, consciousness framework for the next generations. So it is a specialized task. So there could be some people in the second wave who say, you know what, I'm not up for that task. That's not, I don't want that. It's not my cards. I don't have the skill level to do that as a soul. It's not my lesson this time around. I'm here to hold space. I'm here to uplift the vibe. I'm here to demonstrate the divine feminine and that's it. And I honor that too. I honor that because we need somebody doing that. I personally and benefited from having people out there holding that vibration and seeing them do their thing on Instagram or wherever it is I see it. And I'm feeling it in the vibe and I'm grateful for it because I took on the role of mom and I took on the role of healing the mother wound. And that has been a very dark tangled forest of, you know, little nightmares around every corner and how to transition this into a new space so that we can um, shift into a new model of motherhood that where the mother claims her power, claims her authority. And it's, this is an authority. This isn't like control over authority. This is natural authority. This is just like, it's a natural authority. Your mom, you're the one that's supposed to give love and open your heart and have agape and the wisdom that comes through and your body's telling you everything. Don't ignore it. Step into that. And from a healed space, because that kind of stepping in and claiming that authority and being that gives everybody else freedom to relax. And then they have sovereignty because you're not trying to take it anymore because you don't feel powerless. So there's, there's so much of that conversation chance. And I don't know how much you want to get into, but it's a whole book and it's 330 pages. And it took me, you know, a year and a half to write that book. And it was a, it was very different experience from the second wave, second wave book, wide Eagle, such a blessing, such a, it was a smooth process. The book wrote itself in like two months, three months max got it out delivered within six months to the market. It was gorgeous. So when I got tapped, as soon as I published that book to write Love is Fear, Healing the Mother Wound, I thought, oh, great. It'd be like six months. It'll be really super easy. Ho, 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 ho. Nothing further from the truth. This is a to- this is a divine feminine healing. As I worked with White Buffalo Catwoman on this book, and it's it's amazing. It's powerful. It's potent. It's gorgeous, and it's the deep dark shadows of the feminine. And it's a lot. So, I, I welcome anybody to it. You know who's ready for the journey. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot, Chance, but it'll help liberate men too. You know, we all have the masculine and the feminine running within us. So I don't even like to use that. But, but we are also holding roles. Like if you have a woman's body and you have a womb and you give birth and you're a mother, period, that's who you are, you know? And if you're a surrogate parent and you adopt somebody, then you're a mother. And if you happen to be in a masculine body and you're, you have a lot of feminine in you and you take a child and you adopt a child, then you're a mother. So whoever's holding that role, you know, these are some good stuff to know. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask if I would benefit as a male from checking into that book, because I do think that we both sides of the gender line should know about how the dynamics work because we're all part of that. And so, yeah, I'm going to have to look into that book before maybe we go further into talking about that as a particular subject. And uh, since I actually forgot to include him in the intro in the title and you just brought him up, let's talk about White Eagle. This is really interesting to me. Can you tell us who White Eagle is? So White Eagle is... uh... (laughs) is an ascended master of awakening human consciousness. And the method is rainbow light frequencies and activations. And the teaching or the, uh, the path that he walks is the red road. 
And so this is all about indigenous teachings, connecting with Mother Earth, learning from Mother Earth, um, living in the ways that many indigenous cultures have, have lived on the planet in harmony with all of life, in harmony with the earth, with the plants, the animals, the rocks, the water, the elements of fire and wa- water and wind. And, you know, it's, it's really realizing that we are intrinsically part of the body of Mother Earth and that, you know, we can't disconnect ourselves from it and think we can survive. So his teachings are really all about um, how do we ascend this human consciousness? We have these brains in our head, you know, this uh, limbic brain and the reptilian brain. And the reptilian brain is the most is the most ancient brain we have in our heads. And it still is in charge for a lot of people. It's a reactionary brain. It's a survival brain. And the next brain is a limbic brain, which is a more recent brain, but it's still all, it's all about emotions and reaction. And it, you know, it gives us these wonderful experiences of emotion and we need that actually. But the next brain that we really are all collectively moving towards, and Paul Selig uh, talks about this as the upper room in his teachings um, with I am the word teachings, but the upper room is essentially the frontal cortex. So the frontal cortex is where we're moving as a species. And the more people that can occupy the space of the frontal cortex, the more we're going to see things like collaboration, cooperation cooperation, um, understanding, listening, um, psychic abilities, being able to hear the plants and and hear messages from nature, being able to um, feel and perceive other ways of living as other beings on the earth. These are all teachings that indigenous cultures have had for a very long time. And we've just gotten away from it with our technological advancement and our focus on the mind. So White Eagle is really here to bring the elevation and the heart opening so that human consciousness can elevate beyond the reptilian brain and the limbic brain and into the frontal cortex and open up the heart, which is really enlightenment. Enlightenment happens when the heart is open, when the heart is receptive, when there aren't these blocks, you know, that short, well, I'll love you, but I don't love you. I like this, but I don't like that. You know, all of that kind of thinking is part of the the stopping up of the love flow through our hearts, you know, and when we can unblock that, we have awakening and that we're awakening human consciousness right now. So that's what white ego does. I love it. Yeah. Uh, that higher human faculty that comes from that part of the brain is very important to have a healthy development in. And I brought it up in the intro, the optic thalamus and the third eye, the, the, uh, you know, what I've come to, personally think about this the way that our brain functions and I think that there's evidence for it in it that is even what you would call scientific or materially based is that there's only one energy and there's only one sensory capacity that we have as beings and I think that that's the optic thalamus and what I'm getting at is that our the light of consciousness that comes into our awareness is apertured through this one point and and then it filters the information and routes it like a central processor to every other um, sense organ that we have. And then that organ translates it into a different dimensionality of sense. And the reason why this is to me evident is because if the information from your toes that from the sense of touch was coming at you at the same time as the information hitting your eyeballs at the same time as the smells and the sounds, the signals in your body from those parts of your body do not travel to the brain in perfect timing to 
generate the holographic experience of a three-dimensional world in your mind's eye. It doesn't work that way. There's been research that shows that those signals don't travel at the same speed or at the same rate. So there has to be something else going on, some sort of central processor. And you can even take a blind person or just blindfold a person and you can hold up images in front of their face and they will have subtle physiological reactions that correspond to what is on the image without being able to actually see it. And there's tons of experiments like that. So I think this is a really good <laughs> uh, message and something that I've been kind of interested in on my own research lately. Um, so, but what I want to talk about now with White Eagle is maybe how you met him, because I think maybe for some people listening, especially people who um, might not be as open-minded to what they consider woo, <laughs> like uh, how do you go from a regular lady to talking to white eagle and and connecting with other ancestors there's a there's definitely a journey there and i'm curious about it oh yeah there's a journey <laughs> i mean <clears throat> let's just say i identify with anybody who has doubts because i used to be that person i identify with anybody who whose brain is so busy and so like ruminating over every last little thing that it never comes to peace and you feel like gosh it is ever going to be quiet um, I was totally like that. I was actually in psychotherapy for 20 years on a couch, just trying to cope with how busy my brain was and it would never be quiet. And I was always, you know, critical about everything and couldn't like be happy to save my life. It seemed like, and, uh, you know, so that was, that was going on for about 20 years. I was trying to find a pathway to to make that stop, you know, because it was just so terrible. And of course, drugs were one of the answers, right? So I took those pills too. I took the not feeling pills and um, for a while. And um, anyway, so flash forward to, I got to the end of that, that didn't work. It was like really clear that I ran that experiment. The psychotherapy didn't work for me. It guys got me trapped more in my brain. Um, I wasn't feeling, I wasn't present. I was actually felt like I was behind a glass wall with those medications. I felt like it disconnected me even more from the world. And I was like kind of walled off in this like silence chamber, like, but it wasn't silent. It was noisy inside my chamber, but I, I couldn't connect with anything outside of my chamber. So I was like, well, that's not working. Plus I was having suicidal thoughts and impulses. I said, all right, this has gone down as far as it can go. I'm at the bottom of my pit. I'm a mom now. I've got two little kids. I can't, I got to make this right. Somehow I've got to make this better. And I don't know how, and I don't know the answer. So I walked out of my marriage uh, for 20 year marriage. I left it. Um, I kept my kids, of course, um, but I was struggling. I didn't really want to live anymore, but I knew I couldn't leave because I wasn't going to leave them motherless. And I was like, well, I've got to find a way. So I'm willing to, I'm willing. So that was the first step. I'm willing. I'm willing to find another way. This way I tried isn't working. Something helped me. If there's a God, help me, you know, and just help me see something new. Connect me to something, anything. I'm willing to do it. And by now I'm so desperate. I really am willing to. I'm willing to do anything. So uh, within a short period of time, I, I ran across my mom actually kind of, encouraged me strongly slash made me be friends with one of her tenants who had been divorced for 10 years. And she said, you need to hook up with Gina. So I started by going to yoga with Gina and just Gina said, well, let's go to yoga. And I was like, well, I've never done that, but okay. So I go to yoga. I start to feel better. I'm breathing. It's like my body's loosening up, like all these cricky tight places in my body that wouldn't move or finally moving. And I'm remembering, Hey, 
when I was a kid, I used to always stretch all the time. I loved stretching. I just like do all these weird stretches on the floor and I loved it. Well, maybe this is me. So I, you know, I was doing some more of that. And then I got curious with her and I really wanted this guy. It was all about a guy. Chance, it's, it's usually about a guy. Um, it was all about a guy. I said, I found this guy. I really wanted to, I wanted him to like me and date me and all this and get, get serious with me. And then, mind you, this is like two months after my divorce. <laughs> and my divorce isn't even final. But anyway, I want this guy. And I was like, well, I got to fix myself to get this guy. So uh, I was willing to try anything. And Gina says, well, you know, I had this big healing from a shaman one time. <laughs> I said, what's that? And she said, I don't know, but after I had this healing from this shaman, everything started changing and it got better. And I was like, well, all right. So I went home and Googled shaman in Austin and I found a shaman practitioner. He wouldn't call himself a shaman in Austin. And I said, okay, I'm going to meet a meeting with this guy. So I had this meeting with this guy and he said, you're perfect for my class. Now I thought I'm a total wreck. How in the way am I perfect for anything? I'm not perfect for anything. I'm a mess. My whole life's topsy-turvy. It's all upside down. I cheated on my husband, all this stuff, right? It's just bad person. I can't get this guy I want because I'm so broken. He doesn't want me. You know, like, I'm like, why do you think I'm perfect? And I get into this class and we start studying the four agreements, Don Miguel Ruiz, the Toltec agreements, you know, do your best, uh, you know, don't make assumptions. All of these things were coming into my brain. I actually had to read that book like 30 times front to back. So there's another tip. Read the four agreements 30 times front to back until you finally start getting it. <laughs> you know? And then I got a drum. So you see how this starts to, it starts to expand. So I got a drum because he does drum circles, this teacher I had. I said, all right, well, I'm going to get a drum because I, I think maybe if I drum, I, I can quiet down. If I'm busy doing something, then maybe then I can meditate, you know, and it's, as it turns out, these drums, the way they activate your brain into trance is that the you, certain times per minute actually just automatically is like a little sign that sends your brain into a trance. You know, it's like a built-in mechanism to trance your brain out. So I got this drum to trance myself, you know, because I'm like, it's too freaking busy in there. So I started trancing and do, doing drum journeys and then I started to see visions. And in one of these visions I saw, and at this time I was listening to a drum journey meditation in the bath, and I was listening to it, and all of a sudden I see this in my third eye. When I say I see, I'm seeing it in my third eye because I had my eyes closed, and I was lying back, relaxing. I just had a meditation. I'm just kind of zoning out. And I, in my third eye, I see this, like, telescope come in closer and closer and closer and closer, and it gets bigger, the picture, and then all of a sudden there's, like, this, I am looking into the end of the telescope, the big end, and I see this white eagle chief. Like, I don't know what his name yet is, but he looks like a, like a Native American chief with this big white feather, like, headdress. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, wow, this is cool. Like, <laughs> You know, where did this come from? And, and he says to me, open the sun in their hearts. And then he leaves. I was like, Wait. <laughs> You have to come back because I don't know what that means. Open this sudden in their hearts. Like, what does that mean? Who are you? And so I look up on Google. Google's really handy to me at this time. <laughs> I look, I'm like, Cherokee, because I know I'm part Cherokee. So I figured for something I came, I was a Cherokee headdress. Hey, and me I too. Find, part Cherokee. Are you really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, brother. So I look up and I see this picture. It's exactly what I just saw. Now, I've never seen this picture before, okay? So, like, I see this picture, and the guy's wearing exactly the same kind of headdress that I saw in my vision. And I'm like, all right. 
So I just, I write all about that in my journal. I'm like, this is the coolest mystical experience ever. And I put it on, then I close the journal and I put it away. And then, you know, a little while later, another thing comes. <laughs> so it's kind of like that for a while. I didn't really get it for a long time. And honestly, I had such huge signs. I mean, we could go into more stories, but there's stories in the book. I had so many huge signs and it wasn't until I went to, I'll tell you this one. This one is actually important. So this might freak some of your people out who are really against woo woo stuff. Like they'll be like, Oh my God. This the, is- like all two or three of them <laughs> <laughs> that listen to this show. But yeah, they'll be like, Oh, you know, so I apologize to all the Christians in advance who are really afraid of like possession and things like that. So this is not what happened, but you know, that's the fear. You know, So I went to, I went to the uh, Cherokee uh, kind of lofty village. I was in the Smoky mountains. And the first time I went there was right after I published my first book, Awakening to Me. And I go out there and I think, okay, I'm going to, I want to connect because now I'm drumming, right? So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm not a drum. So, well, I can't connect with my ancestry in the 3D because um, we don't have the proof or whatever we needed, you know, for the blood tests and all of this. And we don't have the roles. So I can't prove anything. So I'm like, I'll just go to the ancestors. I'll go beyond the veil and I'll drum and I'll connect. But I was having trouble, you know, I, I bringing my quiet, my, my big busy mind down to a space of quiet actually. So I thought, I'll get a shaman. So, cause now shaman is my whole solution for everything. So I go out there to Cherokee and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to walk around. I'm just, I go to the museum and I ask, and they kind of give me a rough, a rough treatment and didn't really get there anywhere. And then I went to uh, the kind of lefty village and I started asking around and, and they're like, yeah, cause they're shining me on. They're like, no, we don't really know anything about that kind of stuff. You know, that's that we don't know who might do that. So I didn't get anywhere. So I kept trying on my own. And then two years later, I went back. And this time I'm with my sons. And I, I just, by now I'm desperate because it's been two years. I can't make traction on it. I don't know what's going on. I know I need to. The, like the impulse to connect with that is so strong inside my being that it's actually making me almost desperate. Like I've got to find this. I don't know how I'm going to find it. And it's, I'm feeling desperate and I'm crying and, you know, cause I can't, I can't stop crying. Like I honestly can't stop crying. I've got to connect with this. I don't know what, even what it is. Finally, they uh, took pity on me and they connected me with this guy, Bruce, who just happened to be there for the day. Kind of how that rolls, you know? And I, he said, okay, I'll help you. I'll help you in a couple minutes out in the parking lot. So just, you know, I'll be done with my shift and then I'll come out. I said, okay. So I start walking towards the parking lot, somewhat relieved, like, and then all of a sudden I feel this, it felt like a softball of energy, just whoosh through the back of my head, like where my head meets my neck and then just start expanding through my whole brain. And obviously I'm dizzy and I'm nauseous and I have to sit down and it's like, what is going on? Something's happened. I can't, I think I'm going to pass out. And, and it just starts, it it just keeps expanding and expanding. And I'm telling my kids, I don't know what's going on, but I'm seeing stuff. The trees are breathing. (laughs) Like I'm on a trip, you know? And I could, and it's palpable, like I can feel the energy and I can feel the expansion and I can see things changing and it's like really trippy. And I think that that supports the idea that there's just one aperture and that if you get a bunch of juice through the aperture, if it opens up all of a sudden, then you start quote unquote tripping. But really the reason why you're seeing reality get all wavy and stuff is because you're seeing more of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it expanded. And it, and I found out later that that spot in the back of your head, like where your head meets your neck, is actually called the mouth of God. So it's the place where your ancestry can actually enter you. 
So <laughs> stuff, stuff like that's happened to me and I can relate to the back of the neck thing. It sometimes feels like for me, it's felt like um, an electrical cord was plugged into the back of my neck. <laughs> like a, just a douse. Like it felt like a flood of energy. Like it, it, it felt like a snowball. Like he'd like, like hawked a, right. Like he'd thrown it at me, like, whack, you know, and then it just like, I felt it come in. So, um, yeah, that began a, probably like a five-year journey of, of remembering the trail of tears, like actually remembering being there, feeling the grief. Like I couldn't even talk about it without crying. Like it's so much better now. Cause I can come and talk about it without like bursting into tears because of that first five years. I mean, it was so intense. I would, I would remember, um, being, feeling so helpless, like being in a role of authority, natural authority, peace chief here to help and looking at all the suffering that's happening, questioning myself. Did I do the right thing? Did I advise correctly? Uh, you know, what's going to happen now to everybody. I can't stop what's happening. I'm powerless. And I just have to witness all of it. And just that feeling of grief, like total devastation and grief, like so much loss, like loss of culture, loss of family, loss of tribe, loss of land, like just loss of everything. And the whole world turned upside down. So that, uh, that was, that took a long time to, to clear the energetics of that and, and to integrate. And what started happening was that I also had so much grief in my life, like as me now, as Carrie, you know, I had so much grief from my marriage and, and just from all the things that I had done to wreck it, you know, to just burn it to pieces at the end there. And, you know, my lifetime and my experiences and early childhood traumas and like just so much was coming up and, there was this way that I started dancing with white Eagle. I started dancing with this, this aspect of me where it was like, he was helping me to love myself and honor myself as a woman and to stop diminishing myself and doubting myself and tearing myself down. He was helping me to honor myself and remember the traditions of the Cherokee people of honoring the women and the women's power. And I was helping him to heal and to forgive and to understand because he's understanding life now through my eyes as a, as a white woman, right? Part Cherokee, but look pretty white, white presenting. He's understanding life through my eyes. And so the anger and, the, and everything he might've been feeling at that time is healing too, and then I'm healing my own guilt, like my white guilt for, you know, my, my other ancestors. And what did they do, you know, to cause this to happen to the Cherokee people and all the native people. And it was like this, this merging and melding of these, of, of two beings coming together to understand through each other's eyes, it's life experience. Um, it's been really profound on so many levels. Um, and there were lots of Lots of moments along the way. It's too many to recount here. But I will say that right before I, I didn't really know like who was telling me the information for the second wave book, even with all this that I'm saying, you know, because the ego could just really make you doubt yourself and dismiss information. So the week before I published the book, I actually worked with a plant medicine in ceremony and 
it got the better of me because I didn't work with that medicine before. And so it kind of snuck around all my egoic defenses that knew how to like fend off ayahuasca, for example. This new medicine just kind of came in, opened my heart and went, all of a sudden I'm sitting up having a conversation with White Eagle. <laughs> Who's connecting all the dots? Like, remember this and remember this and this was pivotal and this and this and this and this and this. And it was like, oh, wow. Okay. So like now that I see the puzzle, I can't unsee it. So I know who I am. Awesome. So that's kind of how that went. <laughs> Very cool story. And if people pick up the book, they'll even read about synchronicities, like actually finding a white eagle at a very significant point in your journey and things like that. And there's a lot of directions I could go from here. And I want to give you time in the first hour to talk about skills, not pills, and also to tell people a little bit more about what they'll find in your book and how to get to it. But before we go there, um, man, what's the one crucial question that I want to bring up right now? <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> uh, I, I think I know what the most important one is that I want to get into free because I think what you're describing in your life is what some people would call spiritual emergency, especially the times in your in your story where your aperture opened all of a sudden and things got weird. And that was... Uh, you know, really paradigm shattering. And I have at least one close friend that has recently been in touch with me to talk about what she thinks is a spiritual emergency. She's been going through similar types of things. And so for anyone else out there or anyone that might encounter this type of uh, change in themselves in the future, I'd love for you to talk about that concept and maybe take a little bit of the scariness out of the word emergency, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I guess I wouldn't call it emergency. So it feels like an emergency. Let's well, just you say can that. Say emergency as in it's literally emergent, like it's emergent. It's emergent. Yeah. And it is, it feels kind of like an emergency because you do have, so I'll say I've had several dark nights of the soul and, um, the dark night of the soul. I finally, the last one I had, I sat with it with a higher level comprehension and I realized that what was actually happening was that really heavy, dense energy that no longer served me, typically fear-based energy that had gotten stuck in my body, that was rising to the surface for release. And in it rising to the surface for release in such a great volume made me feel like death. Now, just because I felt like death was happening, because indeed it was happening for a lot of things inside of me, um, it doesn't mean I'm dying because I'm eternal. It just means that some of the programming is dying because it's no longer needed. Like it's outdated programming. It's like you just went on your file system and selected an entire, you know how sometimes you use like a really big directory on your computer system, and you click delete. Or like antivirus software that goes through and scans and deletes all the demons. And it takes forever to get through that. Like you're sitting there like, when is it ever going to be done? It's taking forever. And you can have all kinds of feelings arise in the process of waiting for that to happen. And well, that's the kind of the same thing here. It's just deleting it. And most of that content that gets deleted, it likes to be recognized on the way out. It sort of like has to stop and look at you and say, hey, you know, you should feel this for a moment because this is important. You know, so feel my devastation feel my shame, feel my grief, feel my pain, feel my suffering. Feel, so it wants you to feel it on the way out. 
and it's leaving. So the least you can do is honor it and feel it. Yeah, the reason it was steady. stuck in the first place was because it was waiting for your witness. Exactly. It can't be. It can't leave until it's witnessed. So spiritual bypass is actually trying to not witness something on the way out. It's like, I'm just going to like groove myself right out of my body, you know, out into outer space and just like in the etheric realms. I'm going to spend all of my time out there and not coming down into my body, which is the next phase of awakening. Now, there's nothing wrong with meditating and getting blissed out and going way out in the dimensions. Like that's a fun part. And it's necessary actually to build up enough trust in the universe that you're going to be okay as you descend back down into your vessel from that place. Like that's really, it's like you got to infuse your whole vessel with all that enlightenment out there. Like enlightenment is actually the blending, right? It's like, it's like those ascended vibes and ascended realizations and all of that good juicy, like out there energy. And then you got to bring it in bring it in, 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 in all the way down to your toes so that you like reprogram, realign, refine your being, your beingness. The body is not like an impediment to spirituality. It is actually the vehicle of spirituality. I couldn't agree more. And yeah, if you don't do things to strengthen your body and purify that temple, then you're going to get distortions in whatever things you're drawing down or uh, pulling from within whatever metaphor you want to use for what we're talking about. And I think that relates to uh, skills, not pills, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah. Well, the skills, not pills uh, thing I did several years ago was a movement I started. And, you know, it's still, I'm still holding on hope that that message will catch on. And I think it will. I think especially now, especially with the COVID and things, people have started realizing, hey, wait a second, there's not like one pathway and they don't have all the answers and it's not for sure. Oh, crap. <laughs> like... I have to think for myself. Oh no. So the skills, not pills is really all about that. It's about, Hey, you got to think for yourself. You've got to research for yourself. You got to feel yourself. You got to learn how to like go inside and find the answer that's right for you. Because, um, anything you do, if it's not the actual right answer for you, it's not going to work. So if you find the right answer for you, it's going to work every time. If you try to use somebody else's answer, it's not going to work. You know, it might, part way work or kind of seem like it's working and you might get inspired by somebody else and then adopt that as yours and it really is yours and so it works but so there's like this way that you can't there's no like one size fits all system anymore that that kind of like easy button way of thinking is gone now we're in the age of Aquarius there is no more easy button you can't just like go to the church and get the answer and come home and and like you're you're good no you you've got to actually process everything yourself for the answer so the same with healthcare. Like you can't just go to the doctor, get the answer, get the prescription and just trust that it's all going to work. No. We got to know things, not believe things. <laughs> That's what the age is about. You got to know things. And, you, you know, this whole idea, that's why it's so infuriating. I mean, I notice it and I laugh because I'm like, oh, this is how we're doing it. Because, you know, how are you going to get people out of that mentality of like one size fits all is that you have the COVID virus that doesn't work the same for anybody. Like, demographics there are no demographics that are like totally true for everybody it's not you it's like it's a mystery it's like who's going to get it next i don't know who's going to be susceptible who's going to have a hard time with it who's going to have an easy time with it and everyone's trying to make rules around that like well i'm just figuring out the dynamics and the demographics of this thing and i'm going to figure it all out no you're not <laughs> not going to figure it out because that's the point the whole point is that it's unpredictable 
The whole point is to bring you out of trying to look out there to find the answer and into checking this being right here, this one right here for the answer that's right for you. So we're moving into what White Eagle calls the thumbprint suit, you know, the thumbprint journey. If you look at your thumbs, there's a unique thumbprint on there. And that unique thumbprint is your thumbprint suit. It's like you slid into this, this um, virtual reality suit and it's got all of the conditions and all of the perceptions and all of the opinions and all of the perspectives of this particular incarnation built in. You can't be anything other than that. And so you're just immersed in it. And yours is not like anybody else's. So that's why you can't understand somebody else sometimes is because you're not in their thumbprint suit. Yeah. Why do some people have like this total belief and the baby eating and all of this stuff going on. And other people are like, no, those people are saviors, you know, <laughs> because we're never going to agree on it. We're not going to agree because in our thumbprint suits, we're, we're programmed to believe different things on purpose. So you've got to navigate your way through all that collective mindset mentality where you keep trying to group yourself up with other people and like, you know, we're right and you're wrong. That, that whole paradigm is gone. It's not going to work anymore. It comes back to that agreement about not making assumptions. Yeah, it's the four agreements. <laughs> I think Don Miguel's book is going to have another resurgence. It's going to be like a whole other wave of people getting that book and really applying it because it's useful stuff, very useful for the individual journey, checking in with yourself about your conditioning. I'm still muted. Okay. So, uh, Let's go ahead and talk about some of the things that we haven't touched on that someone can find in your book, because I know there's exercises in there and we haven't really brought that out. And I want to give you the rest of the next five to seven minutes to kind of, I don't want to say pitch or sell your book, but to just let people know what to expect that they might be able to get out of it. And I'll say it's a, it's an easy read. It's fun. And it's a, interesting i think we can all connect our personal experience and our uniqueness back to your uniqueness and in, in the stories that you share yeah well um it's a it is a good it's a really good book i mean i channeled it so i i feel like i learned from it as well um it's got some sections from some of my friends too so i've got some information about ancestral healing in there so how do you how can you serve as the conduit of healing for your ancestry and it seems selfless to do that but actually it's quite a selfish thing because since you're walking around in your ancestral dna you know it kind of behooves you to clean it up so you can have a more authentic aligned experience for your true self your destiny self so um ancestral healing is a really good area to explore um, there's also the Akashic Records. Um, my friend Lisa Barnett has talked about the Akashic Records work. It's important to know, like, what other lifetimes are you personally clearing up? Because many of us are wrapping up, tying up loose ends on, you know, other lifetimes that maybe were pretty profound and we, we needed an extra few minutes to process and integrate that experience. So like me with the Trail of Tears, that was such a big experience. I, I needed a little bit more time to process that one, you know, to really integrate it and come to, to, come to healing and, and acceptance of that experience. So um, there's also some information from uh, Jennifer Huff about the science behind all this, which so science geeky people would really love that topic that she talks about is how are we the light that shines? Like how exactly is that, that we emanate light frequencies and, and uh, you know, upgrade the whole planet? You know, Rumi talks about being, uh, we're not just uh, a drop in the ocean, we're the whole ocean in a drop. 
And so as we change our whole ocean in a drop, we can't help but affect all the other drops because we're the whole ocean in one drop. So how, so she explains the science behind, well, what, what's the actual science behind that for people who like that kind of thing? And then there's just, you know, there's really useful tips for practical things like how to ground, how to open spa- sacred space. There's another tool for that I use to get myself out of my personality like confusion and into the expanded space where I get messages and insight and realization is I open sacred space. Like it's a spiritual practice. I do it every day. I don't just do it for a healing session. You know, I open my day in ceremony and I call in sacred space. I welcome support. We have to welcome it. We have to ask for it. And there's a lot more in the book. I mean, there's, I put lots of tips and suggestions just because I like to give people practical ways to implement this change in their life if they really want it. And just taking those few, they seem, it seems simple. Like what is opening sacred space really going to do for me? It's just some words on a page and I just read them out loud, right? Yeah, try it. Yeah, but you advise that if you <laughs> you, you advise if you try these things, which I think is a great idea, and then like track what it's like to do it for a month and if you feel different, uh, because maybe doing it one time, especially with a lot of skepticism, you could easily dismiss that like, well, that was a waste of time possibly. Um, or if you did it with uh, already a deep level of openness to the support that is available, then just one time might be like, wow, that was a great day instantly. So I, I think that the whole, the science side of it, especially when it comes to our uniqueness and knowing what works for us, it's key. And it's something that I resist a lot, but I'm, I'm working on doing better at, which is just actually keeping track of external record that is also an energetic container that you're imprinting both your intention for what you're doing into, and also the memory of the experience, which is like, very crucial to have anticipation, repetition, participation, and recollection. Uh, all those things merge in the forming of new neural pathways and habits. So I think that it's a it's a good idea to not just like sort of try something out willy nilly as good of it's not as good of an idea as sticking with something for a little while and really tracking your whole experience outside of opening up that ritual. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more because um, it sinks in. It it just, it sinks in. It's just sort of like I started actually doing some of my programs on a weekly basis because the rainbow light healings come in every week. And what I realized at the end of this last circle, I was like, oh, well, that's why people did better with the material. Like there was a lot less struggle and a lot less um, difficulty and disconnect and all of that. And it was directly because this is what the shamans do when the shamans work with an apprentice. They don't talk a lot. There's not a lot of talking. There's just a being. There's being and there's regular being. And it's a transmission that happens in the energetic field. It's a transmission that happens by opening sacred space. It's a transmission that happens by working with the earth. The transmission that happens by receiving rainbow light or whatever the thing is. It's that transmission that's doing the change. So we have to trust that process and, and like, just give it a whirl and see what happens, you know, try one of these experiments for a month and see what happens. Yeah. Being's a verb, not a noun. We mix that up because we call ourselves human beings, but it is a process. It's not a static person, place, or thing that we truly are or deeper than that and more connected to everything and to the great spirit than that. But we're out of time on the first hour. So Carrie, 
let them know the places that they can find you, how they might connect with you before we mosey on over to the uh, members only good times. Awesome. Well, I hope that everyone's enjoyed this broadcast and got a lot from it. And I hope you're going to come for round two because we got a lot more to share. Uh, so you can find me at uh, carriehummingbird.com, K-E-R-R-I, hummingbird.com. And if you put a forward slash play on that, you'll get the, the Love Mastery game. And the Love Mastery game is an oracle game designed to help you connect with your soul's curriculum and start to understand why the dang thing's happening. It's not going to like tell you what's going to happen or when it's going to happen. It's not that kind of oracle. It's going to help you see, why is this thing happening to me, for me, through me? And that's really the magic. And like, what do I, you know, what support do I have on earth? Like to help me through that. We've got lots of allies and lots of help. And so this game helps identify some of what that is. And it's a fun one to play. Very awesome. Carrie, this has been a great uh, flying by type of time and (laughs) looking forward to jumping in on the other side. So thanks for being here. Hey, you guys want to hear a good joke? I just recorded the whole outro to this show and my uh, mic wasn't on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was like a warm-up. I thought it was funny. You know, actually, I love one thing about myself. When I screw up, I don't get mad at me. Unless maybe it's an extremely big screw-up. But even then, it's like, it already happened. Why make it worse by being pissed at myself? I don't know. Maybe that's why I sometimes remain careless and never learn. Because I don't make it mentally expensive for my, for my mistakes to happen. But whatever. I laughed about it. Outro is no longer available in this reality it was just uh not recorded so that's that and i move on and life continues and maybe this one will be better why worry that oh no i can't redo that i won't remember all the things i said yeah just do it again get in the flow and uh, that's here here i am that's me that's what i'm doing round two outro fight but yeah okay so let's cover what happened just now that conversation with carrie was pretty cool right I thought so too. We had talked a few months back on the phone when we uh, first considered doing this show and then uh, it took a while to actually get it on the books, but I'm glad that we did it because I had a good feeling about her back then and I have a better feeling even still after having that talk. It's been a while since we had a podcast episode that would fall under what I don't know, some people might label new agey. I really don't feel like this was too new agey, hopefully. I think I can tone it towards a more balanced place whenever things go that direction. And uh, as much as there is to complain about new age type of (laughs) Tavistockian thought alteration, behavior modification, there's also real deep spiritual people that profess all kinds of ideas that come from all kinds of places. And then it gets lumped into the idea of being new agey just because it's alternative. And you know what? Is it even alternative? The kind of things that Carrie is talking about is generally native wisdom traditions. That's where she's coming from. So is it alternative or are we talking like this is the native thing and what we consider mainstream is the alternative? You follow me? That's a little word magic for you. Anyway, like anything... What resonates with you is what you're meant to carry out of this conversation. What you don't fully agree with is what you're meant to discern about any conversation. And that's life, and it's always going to be that way. I don't know why I'm giving this disclaimer or lecturing about it, but I guess it's because 
as a podcast host, I get worried like about dumb things, <laughs> uh, such as the fact that the channel Interverse has been picking up great momentum lately. And so in my brain, I'm like, what if I do content that's a little different than what my recent content's been like and the new people don't like it because they like me for the recent types of topics and yada, yada, yada. A million things to just like pointlessly worry about. And if this type of thing is more your bag and you look at recent content on the channel alternatively <laughs> that uh, doesn't seem to be your bag, but you like to this one with Carrie, go back deeper in the archives. There's a lot of timeless content out there that I've done over the last couple of years that I think mostly doesn't need to be really located in a similar present moment as when the show came out to be digestible and enjoyable. I've got a lot of variety in the archives and that goes for anyone that's new to the channel. Please go through, just see, even if there's names you don't recognize, look, take the titles or descriptions as the guide as to whether or not you want to dig in or, you know, it'd be even more fun if you go to my website and go to the episodes list, those pages, scroll through and maybe see if any of the covers jump out at you. It's like, oh, something about that is pulling me towards it. Maybe that'll be an episode you vibe with. I don't know. I just want to give some love to some of the older shows and some of the wonderful guests that might not have had quite as much exposure as my newer content because of the fact that the channel has been growing pretty well, especially the last few months. And I appreciate that. I'm really, really grateful. Uh, the Patreon's getting better than ever, more people on board than ever before. Really happy that those messages are going to more ears because when I first started, one of the dumb podcast host things I worried about was like, are these second hours ever going to get heard by anybody when there was only a few dozen people that had plus, And I'm not even sure if they were all tuning into every plus extension. It could be a bit frustrating putting in all that work and thinking half of this isn't even getting heard. And so I, I still worry about that, about those older episodes a little bit. And I'd love it if you're a new member to plus or even you're not on plus and you just think you could go for some more interverse, check out the archives. Like I said, Go through those lists. I think there's going to be good things for everybody. Uh, right now I'm wearing my Hakan-ism shirt. Check out episodes with Hakan-ism. Hism. H-I-S-I-M. Hasim? Maybe that's how I'm supposed to say it. I've never really known. He's kind of a mild-mannered guy. I don't even know if he'd correct me if I got it wrong. But there's a couple of good episodes with him. An amazing Turkish artist. If art is your bag, digital art and crazy psychedelic revelations, that type of thing. Um, that's just one off the top of my head, but like, I'm, like I said, there's so much good stuff in the archives. I hope that it gets noticed and it doesn't just sit there year after year. And, uh, that's that for my little rant about the plus archives. Speaking of plus this time around, oh, you know what? Let me back up. I just want to say thanks to Carrie one more time. Had a great experience talking to her. Good vibes all around. Really like the ancestor topic want to get into more of that and from a native standpoint. So shoot me some guest recommendations. Don't shoot me. Email me. I do not want to be shot in any way, shape or form. Ha ha. It's a vaccine joke. Let me see if this is the right button. I don't know if I hit the clap button or the, uh, the drum, like the snare button, man, this is really going south fast. I don't have my headphones on. I don't know what sound effect I just hit. It's a mystery. I'll find out when I'm done. Okay. So, yeah. Thanks to Carrie 
now out of the way and a wholehearted recommendation that you maybe check out books that she's written if any of them call to you. I want to tell you about what Carrie and I talked about in the second hour. If the whole time you've been like, what are you talking about? Plus, what is that? It's the arc. It's the second hour of every podcast that I do for the people that pay at least $5 a month, which is very inexpensive. Not even a lot of podcasters are offering their deal for five bucks a month anymore. Most of them have gone up to like at least eight. And uh, I don't really want to do that to you guys, at least not yet until it becomes like necessary for some reason. I will say though, you can pay for a year and then you don't have to worry about a month to month charge. I will also say that I'm not offering a discount for the year because it's only $60 to get a year of plus through the Patreon and the Patreon's already taken a cut of that. So offering a further discount on top of that, it's like, look, you're already getting the content at a rate of like less than 50 cents an hour or something crazy. I don't know. Maybe my math is off, but whatever. I'm working hard and I'm not asking for a lot of money. (laughs) I know you can afford it probably. And I'd love it if you did support me because it is some work to do what I'm doing. I like to think I'm getting better at it. And the more support I get, the more time I can do it. You know, you know, you tip your server for bringing them, bringing you dinner. And I like to think I bring you mental dinner, heart dinner. Uh, I lost the metaphor, <laughs> but okay. What was in this plus extension? Amazing things. Of course, we talked about working with crystals, the native Peruvian way, learning to walk barefoot on blazing coals. Something I really want to do. And good for me. Carrie actually teaches people this and, uh, might be a time that I can do that because I think she's in Austin, she said, and I have relatives there. Maybe I'll go visit. If I go firewalking, maybe I'll get it, a video of it. <laughs> it should be my thing, right? I'm a fire sign, double fire sign. So we also talked about rituals and behaviors for getting in balance with the other three elements and the fourth one, fire. Also, Earth's gut biome as a breeding ground for negative emotion-eating etheric entities and what to do about that or with those. That was some interesting conversation. Transmuting the denser emotional feelings from dealing with so-called toxic people. That was another topic. We're not calling anyone toxic. That's why I say so-called. Because I think that for most people that engage in energy vampire practices, which, by the way, is almost everybody, it's largely unconscious and we need to figure out just how that works. I've been rereading, not rereading. I just picked it up again. This book about energy vampires. I talked about months back with Emily Ridout. I never finished the book. It got too real for me. It was like, it was like, I need, if I kept reading this stuff, then now I'd be responsible for putting the knowledge into play in my life in terms of relationships I have with people. But if I remain ignorant, then I'm not as responsible for this, uh, energy vampirism, whether I'm the victim or the perpetrator, but I'm back into it. I'm trying to figure this out. I want to get my shit together, get my boundaries healthy, treat other people the way they should be treated, you know? So there's a lot more than that in the plus talk with Carrie. Trust me, a lot more. That's a little preview. I can't tell you everything. Patreon.com forward slash universe is how you get the goods. And I hope you do. Also announcement. I did an interview on Brian Parker's show, Tactical Sovereignty. Really fun time where I talked about 
Cyberpunk 2077, this video game that you've probably already heard me mention a few times because I got deep into it while I was playing it for quote-unquote research. But I really was researching while I played it, and I took a lot of screenshots and a lot of notes, and I talked about transhumanism, Gnosticism, simulation theory, all kinds of deep things on this interview with Brian Parker. If anyone remembers back whenever I was on Unslaved, if people subbed to that channel too, I did two episodes with them called Video Games and the Occult. If you liked those interviews that were on Michael Tesserion's channel and David Whitehead, you would like this thing I did with Brian Parker. And better yet, it's free, and I even mirrored it to my YouTube channel so you can check it out. But it's a video presentation with slides and things, so there's no audio version I'm going to post. This is your only warning about it if you're on just the audio RSS feed. Um, it wasn't too much like heavy-duty spoilers or plot analysis of cyberpunk. I was just looking at the major themes and transhumanism as a concept and the uh, idea of the archetypes becoming corrupted and our nature and the nature of the realm we're in being corrupted as a consequence or a symbol of our mental relationship to parts of ourself becoming distorted or diminished or devolved. And the best example of that was how the cyberpunk game actually had a secret major arcana tarot set that you could find as graffiti in the game world. And man, was it creepy. I covered a few of those cyber arcana in the video with Brian. I want to do a whole video that's just on that. You wouldn't need to know anything about cyberpunk. We'd just be looking at it from the idea of, it's basically like the transhumanist tarot. My way of explaining it in a nutshell is if you know about that Illuminati card game that was many years ago that people are like, it's got Alex Jones on it and shit. And it seemed like prophetic. This tarot might be kind of like a sleeper Illuminati card game type level <laughs> um, enigma cleverly wrapped in a popular video game. So I'll do more about that, but check my YouTube channel or look up Tactical Sovereignty on TalkShoe. I've got links to it on my website. Hope you guys like when I do presentations like that. I love dropping research on other people's shows. For some reason, I don't do it on my own channel. I don't know why, but I like to have someone to bounce it off with. And I don't want to get a guest on just to have them deal with my research. So I kind of like to go do it on someone else's show. Gives them cool content too. So maybe it's like my way of giving back because of how many people's research and ideas that I bring them on to scavenge for my audience. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to pay it forward. Anyway, if you got shows you'd like to see me on, let me know or let them know, or you got a show, let me know. I'd love to get out there more. I'm going to definitely keep it up. It's a lot of fun being in the guest seat. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have to clear my throat. And you do that in public now and you're not wearing an, your uh, chin strap. <laughs> People like give you the cross fingers sign. Yeah. Sorry, guys, I smoke weed. It makes me clear my throat a lot. I don't have the Rona. Anyway, uh, I love you guys. I want to tell you that. I've had a lot of interactions with the audience lately. I really appreciate it. feels more and more like I'm not talking to myself in an empty room and like there's all of you out there that are receiving this, and I appreciate it. Other than joining the Patreon, there's other ways you can support the show that are listed in the show notes at the bottom. 
One way is for free. You can leave a review on iTunes. You can just drop five stars in the iTunes podcast app after you look up Interverse. Bada bing, bada boom. Drop the five stars. More people can find it. Or you can actually write a review, which is fun too. Gives people an idea of why you like it. I just got one from a few days ago from Huacha215, who says, great show. Love it. Excuse me. Clear my throat again. So... That's all you got to do. A comment like that is fine. There's some much more elaborate comments than that that have very kind words as well, but it's a good way to help new people find the show, which is helpful for all of us. Hopefully, if this is good information, then it's good for more people to get it, right? I don't know. But check out the show notes for all the things, including a link to the song I'm about to play, that a listener let me know about this uh, singer from Norway, Kalandra. Cool stuff. I want you guys to show me music that you're into or music that you make would be even better because I get too busy lately to go out searching for new tunes and it actually gets me stagnant in life if I don't have new music regularly. Uh, It's a pattern. I'm 31. I know this pattern's real at this point. Help me out with the pattern. Give me the stuff that you're into. Let me have it. Discord is probably the greatest way to share things with me because then other people can enjoy what you're sharing. Wonderful. And there is an Interverse Discord, if you didn't know. I feel like i got to repeat a lot of things in every outro for anyone that's new, or just to remind people. And I don't do a good job of doing that, but I almost let this one go without telling you about the Discord. We share pictures of our pets doing funny stuff in there. I mean, it's not all serious. It's great. Share your artwork in there. Share music. Tell us about a book you read. Just say hi. I want more of that community organically happening without me moderating it and uh, i like when it does sometimes it's popping off sometimes it's quiet but get in there and just read past things that have been posted you'll see cool stuff it's way better than a facebook group trust me and i think i've been on this ramble long enough i'm gonna play this out with calandra like i said brave new world is the name of the song based off of or not based off of the huxley novel but kind of like a warning but it might be, an, I think it's an adaptation of a poem that she made into a song. It's cool. It's not my usual usual thing, not because it's bad, but because I just wouldn't have gone looking for it and found it. And that's why I appreciate that it was shared with me because it's good. I like all kinds of art, not just the ones that I'm personally into deeply. And this one was a great artist to show me. The music videos of this girl's got are wild. Some of them are really cool. So, Yeah. Show things you like with me. I like things. Let's be friends. Talk to me. Chance at interversepodcast.com. Hit me up. We're on Instagram. Um, SoundCloud, I guess. That's another way. Facebook, that's not as cool. Instagram's easier to catch me. But Discord's the best. And I'm out of here. This was even better than the first outro that I recorded and lost. See, Chance, aren't you glad you didn't beat yourself up over it? It wasn't too bad to sit here for an extra however long this monologue was. I have fun talking to you guys. About three minutes in, I forgot that I was doing it for a second time and just got in the flow. All right. Well, be good to yourself. Be good to others. Love you a lot. Take care. Bye-bye. Peace out. Much love. Yada, yada. Till next time.